Lord, why don't you shake someone's hand before you're seated this morning. Welcome them to Apostolic Praise, APT. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, ladies. See you guys at 11. Praise God. It's good to see everyone. And if you're wondering, yes, I miss Sister Pearl. If you don't know where she's at, she's up in Colorado Springs uh, awaiting the arrival of our sixth grandchild. Yeah. Uh, Aaron's, Aaron's second. So, uh, so uh, and we don't know if it's a boy or a girl. So we don't care, right? It's healthy. As long as it's healthy and, and, uh, loved and all that. It's good to have my wonderful friend who I call brother, Everett Davenport, here with us this morning. I really appreciate him. He, he pastors in Morgantown, West Virginia, and uh, uh, they got in super late. I am surprised he made it, but I guess he came because they got in late this morning, or early this morning, I guess you would say, and uh, uh, the family, I guess, is going to be here a little bit later, uh, too. So it's good to have him, and we welcome him. They've been here before, about seven years ago. They came uh, when they visited one time. He's getting ready, they're getting ready to go on a cruise, Brother and Sister Bruce. And man, it's been a while, right? Whew, it's been a while since we've been on a cruise. Anyway, it's great having you, uh, Everett. Thank you for coming. And uh, we're going to get into that in a little bit later. In uh, 1985, I was stationed up in Waukegan, Illinois, in Great Lakes. It's a naval training center. I went to boot camp in San Diego and then went up there. And I started going. This is, I was new. I was real new in the church. Didn't know up and down. Uh, just say this. After a, about 10 or 11 months, I had tithed like $7. And I just wasn't there. There wasn't uh, a lot. I, I didn't take a lot in. I was going there. I was faithful to church every service and all that, but I, I just, you know, it was new. I was new to the Lord, and uh, I was giving up money, offerings and stuff like that, but I thought it was all the same. So you can imagine, after I got the Holy Ghost, I got uh, and baptized, I went straight into boot camp. Um, and so uh, during this time, about, in the, I think it was the summer, maybe early fall, uh, our church was in a revival. Uh, and uh, I uh, had uh, a person on base asked me to drive her to Columbus, Ohio, and uh, and it was going to be nighttime, and uh, and so I did. Her family was a, a a Christian singing group called the Hitches out of Columbus, and so we they had a big mansion, and everybody had a, a room and all that. It was an old dilapidated one though. But my church was having a revival, so I talked to the pastor. I asked him if I could go, and I, I went down. I drove her. And on the way back, we, we stopped by this little town called Crawfordsville, Indiana. And uh, there, they were singing this music group, because we were following them, we were singing at a Baptist church uh, in town. And I started getting convicted. They're like, man, I, I really miss my church. I should be there, right? You know, so, so I said goodbye. She goes, what, what are you guys doing? The group like, what are you doing? I'm going to go to church. And they're like, we are at church, right? I said, no, I'm going to go down to church. So I went to, I found the United Pentecostal Church downtown Crawfordsville. And I walked in during the middle of the service. An usher and a young man met me there. And they greeted me with just 
encouragement, joy. Uh, we wanted to know who I was, what was going on. I sat down. I remember uh, feeling uh, just, just there in the service, I remember feeling loved and appreciated. Uh, but just sitting there, uh, there were people like waving to me, you know, because it was the middle of service. They just couldn't get up and come over. And the, the kids were the little the, the kids were waving to me. And I was a kid myself. I think I was 19. And uh, and I would wave. And one time the, the minister who was was speaking at that time had asked a question. And so who do you think knows whatever the question was? And I waved at one of the kids and he's like, you. And I was. I was like, oh, it wasn't me. I, I, I don't even think, I didn't answer. I just said, I, and then he realized what was happening. He's like, oh, so I, I, so that was good. So I left Crawfordsville, Indiana with one of my first understandings what the ministry of outreach and hospitality was all about because that's what I felt. I felt like people were reaching out to me and, and with love and, and kindness. Before I left, they invited me back, and I was like, yeah, I don't think so, Right? Because there's a little Crawfordsville, Indiana. If is anybody from Indiana, you know where Crawfordsville is, kind of south of Lafayette, and you might miss it. It's 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 big. It's it's not that bad. And so I wasn't sure if I would ever be back in town again. And now that's the cliffhanger, and we'll we'll come back to that story in a little bit. Uh, if you have your Bible, if you look up on the screen, in John four, uh, verses three through fourteen talking about Jesus, it says he left Judea and he departed again unto Galilee. It says he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called uh, Sechar, and uh, it's near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Very familiar part, portion of scripture here. Because it says in verse 6, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Uh, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Spoiler alert. I'm going to say this in a little bit. They didn't really want to be around Samarians at that time. Then saith the woman of Samaria, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask me to drink, to draw water, which I am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with Samarians. This was a well-known issue. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him, and he would have gave you living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep, from whence then thou is this living water, you know, that, what are you talking about here? Are thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us this well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will be in him, a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Aren't you glad that Jesus is the living water. Amen. He's, he's the well. He's, he's the supply. He's, he's the everything to us. Jesus knew what he was doing when he chose to go through Samaria, even though his disciples did not know. Jews and Samaritans did not like or trust each other. Uh, Samaritans considered the Jews to be uh, snobby and elitist and, 
and the Jews didn't like Samaritans because of their genealogy or their, their ethnicity, uh, their ancestry. They, he didn't like, they didn't like them. However, Jesus had a plan to tear down all the hatred that existed between these two people and these two groups by offering his love and salvation to both. Jesus revealed who he was directly to the Samaritan people. Uh, this, is, uh, this is the way Jesus operates in our lives today. He comes to us and he meets us where we are. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad God meets you right there where you are? Scholars believe that this location was actually where, and that's why it's called in the scripture says, was Jacob's well, where he constructed the well. And like Jacob and Esau's falling out, the Samaritans had experienced a long separation from Jewish Israel. But like Esau and Jacob, uh, they uh, were able to experience a resolution. Jesus came to Samaria to, rec to reconcile these two groups of people to make an attempt to start off. I, um, I went to a, uh, a church. I was going to a church for a while, and it was a church. Uh, and I was young, and I didn't know anything, and I still kind of don't know uh, too much about this. But the two churches in town did not fellowship with each other, except it was a sectional-wide event maybe. And so I had this great idea of, uh, of, getting, of, of getting a softball team together and, and play each other. And I was asked, do you think that you can bring us together? And I said, yes. It wasn't rocket science. And we did. We played a couple softball games. It, it, was, it was great. It was fun. We had a good time. And because of that, I developed strong relationships with the church across town. Believe, wow. Believe it or not, it, it can happen. We can do the similar here as well. We can reach out, and I'm not talking about, of course, we need to reach out to other churches. Of course, you see them in the mall. The other day, we were at a restaurant, and the, this church group came in, and we just started, they saw Renee and I, they just started talking to us, and, and just, it was encouraging. It is, it is great, but also for those people out there that maybe have backslid or or that are lost. We need to reach them. We need to bring them like Jesus did. I know this is no shock to you, but you know the world doesn't like the church that much. So there is a gap. There is a separation, and we need to to reach them as Jesus did. So Jesus still has the power to bring the lost back to Him, regardless of how long they've been away. I'm so thankful that he's still doing this. The woman went to the well at the sixth hour. That was noon. That was the hottest time during the day. No one would go in the middle of the hot sun. Uh, if, you have, if you maintain your own yard, then you probably don't like going out there right in the, at noon. So, but the woman of Samaria, uh, Samaria might, had, might have had a different reason for going there. And the reason why was no one was there. She might have gone there just because no one else would look at her in a, a way that would embarrass her or judge it would judge her. Nobody would do that to her. So she went at this time because not only was it a rough and hard task to draw water out of a well by yourself, it was also very hot. If someone wanted to avoid other people, this is the time of day. Regardless of what experience she had in the past, though, this day was going to be a lot different. Amen. It's going to be a lot. People who have made life-altering mistakes often avoid offensive questions. 
They avoid places where people uh, and people where they know they will face embarrassment and confrontation. If people have been hurt by church members, they might be reluctant to come back to a church. Makes sense. They might not want to darken the doors, fearing that once again they might feel embarrassment. That's why it's so important for the first contact, either it's in a parking lot. If you're pulling up next to a guest, just turn around. You're running two minutes late. Uh, I'm going to, hey, welcome. Make them feel, you don't know what they're going through. You don't have any idea. But words of encouragement will go a long way. Amen. The commissions of Christians, therefore, is to go out, find these people, bring them back into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It goes without saying that we should make sure that no one ever walks into another place where they are treated badly. Uh, the good shepherd left the 99 to go after the one, that single straggler. Are we prepared to do the same, go out and find those who are embarrassed by their past mistakes or, or other issues they might be having? We know quite a few. We, we know we have family members, friends, coworkers. We, it's not like we have to search very far to do that. We can encourage someone and talk to somebody like that. While, uh, while most Jews might not have even looked at this Samaritan woman in the face, Jesus spoke directly to her with kindness and respect. He treated her as a person, which is more than most that who knew her would do. Uh, the time of avoiding people is over. All our outreach ministers and and, and oh, well, we all are actually. I should say all the all we it's it, it's we got we got to go. We got to take the extra extra step. Think out of the box. Uh, some of you know I I sold a crate on on a Facebook Marketplace, and, and the guy just, the time didn't work out, and I said, I'm going to be at church. Do you want to meet me there? Yeah, sure. I, you want to come in and have church or come and visit us? Yeah. And so he came a couple Thursday nights ago, and he stayed there, and I, 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 I followed up with him, haven't heard anything back, but we got to think out of the box. That's a great tool, uh, out with, outreach witnessing tool, if I can get my tongue right here. Getting people just to continue to want, how do I say this? They're, they're seeking something, and getting them to seek God is what we need to do. As I said, Jesus started to put a stop to something that had gone on way too long on this day at the well. In a similar way, the church should not avoid or treat harmfully anyone God sends into our path. Everyone who walks in our churches as well as those who are members can tell stories of shame and pain and heartache and sin. Jesus himself demonstrated that no sin in a person is so great that he would not sit down and talk with them. We should also be willing to look beyond each, each, other's, uh, each person's past and treat everyone with the same respect and dignity that we, that we hope to be offered, we want. If the words, I'm embarrassed of you, are forming in your brain, you need to stop. If the words, I'm disappointed in you or what you're doing, starts to form in your brain, you need to cease. You need to stop. And you need to just realize what you are actually saying to that person. I'm in the mindset that those words should never come out of anyone's mouth, let alone a Christian. Many will have disappointed. Many do, many have our families, our kids, our kids that are backslidden, 
Some of us have kids that are vaccinated. They, they do. We're, we're happy. Our coworkers, where they do something, they, they come in and you, you hear about the partying all weekend long or something like that, and they're, they're not feeling that great this morning, obviously, or the next morning. They are. What kind of witness is that going to be if you go over and say, man, I'm disappointed you. God's not going to like that at all. No, we need to love them, encourage them. What did, hey, how many, I mean, I, I don't know. If I've done it once, I've done it a hundred times or a thousand. How was your weekend? It was great. We had an awesome service. Man, it was blessing. It was great. You can tell me about your runaround, your shenanigans. Uh, I can tell you about how great God is. Amen. So before we begin to criticize someone because they're just not, because they're completely failing, and we know we're not stupid, right? We're pretty smart people. We're humans, right? We, we understand when somebody's failing. We can see it, all right? Just like a police officer, when they pull over somebody on the road, they can pretty much see the signs that somebody is intoxicated. When you go to work, you can see that somebody's not having a good day because you've worked with them for 40 hours a week for 10 years. You know. But be careful what you say because you most likely will push them over the edge. If you're negative, I'm saying. And if they're a backslider or there's somebody struggling in church and you say, well, they probably didn't have a strong walk with God. That is the point. They don't have a strong walk with God. And they need encouragement to kind of build it back. This lady at the well, she needed encouragement. In, what, in her life. And we know we're not getting into her backstory because of time restraints, but we know that she did have a backstory. I tell people at work, one of the things that gets my goat is uh, we're in customer service. I take care of computers, right? I call people. I go out. I fix computers. I, I meet all kinds of people, all kinds. And some of them just wake up on the wrong side of the bed, and they're thinking, man, the guys and girls in the IT department are going to get it today. And they call us up, and they're cussing, they're yelling, and all that stuff. They, they, they do it. They just, some reason, and some of them are super nice. And some of them, you remember I said we're all human, we know. Some of them just don't have a clue about a computer. You treat them all with respect and dignity. And so if I ever hear, I know I, I'm, not the, I'm not the customer service police or anything, but I have been there for a while, and customer service is one of my, you know, knacks. If I hear somebody saying something behind the back of somebody, I will politely remind them, hey, customer service is important, whether it's before or after the job is taken care of. Because what you're doing, you, someone else is going to hear you, and they're going to think doing that. They're going to think to do that as well. And, and in the church especially, we don't have time for that nonsense. Not at all. We don't. No, it's probably the most important time for us to be in one mind and one accord is right now. In these last days, pastors have been preaching about it on Thursday nights. It's so good. Talking about what we need to do and get ready because these are the signs and this is the time. And we need to worry about that world out there and reaching them. We, we have to do that. We need to get behind, speaking of the pastor, get behind our pastor 100%. In any way we can to help reach this thirsty world. Because this world is thirsty. And the woman, of course, the woman at the well had a lot to be ashamed of. Her past haunted her memories and her conscience. And she tried the best to, to avoid revealing what she had done. 
However, Jesus finally revealed, hey, I know everything anyways. But he did not embarrass her or speak down to her. When the disciples returned and even with all the town folk came to see Jesus, he did not hide the fact that he was talking to this woman of Samaria. Jesus did not care what people said about him. All he knew was this woman needed the hope and salvation only he could offer. Christians may worry about witnessing and reaching out to people. Let me tell you this. Don't be embarrassed if you have to reach out to somebody that has a drug addiction. Maybe they have a, a horrible nightlife. Maybe they have a tough time. Maybe they're in prison. Maybe they just got out of prison. Maybe they're losing jobs. Maybe, maybe they're at the president of their company. I don't want to be around them associated. Well, I'm highfalutin. No, it doesn't matter. They're souls. And we need to reach out to them. We should never be ashamed to be seen with these individuals. As Jesus was not ashamed to be seen with the woman at the well. Obviously, as Christians, it goes without saying, we got to be mindful. I am not going to go down to this place down off of Fowler and Winkler. You probably know I'm not going to go in there and start witnessing. I'm not. I'm a Christian. I don't need to be in that place at all. And you guys, this might get get up your crawl, but if if one of those ladies are, is at a store and in need of a five dollars or ten dollars in grocery store, and I don't know who she is because I don't I don't know who she is, I'll give her the money or I'll witness to her. I will do that. And if everybody else in there knows, I don't care. I'm in public place, and I need to witness and need to reach out to her or him, whoever it is. You know, you got my point. I, Jesus provided a perfect example of how we can be loving and compassionate examples to people with sinful past. Because of sin's wide range, more people with life-altering mistakes in their past have been coming to churches. We've seen it a couple uh, Thursdays ago, too, and, and a couple, uh, we, we see it all the time. I just say that. Every service we have, somebody will come in to the church that we might not see them again. So why is that, that we're not seeing them again? Because there, there's some, not that we, well, we don't, I don't know if we all are commuting and reaching out to them, but something in their life, they, they desire something more. So what we have to do, like Jesus did, is present them the living water. You drink of the living water. You don't need anything else in your life that satisfies you like that because nothing will. And we'll get into that in a second. Many verses of scripture gives us the commandment to be like Jesus. Um, uh, Jesus, when he washed his disciples' feet, he said, uh, um, he told them, for I have given you an example and do this as I've done to you. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, be followers of me as I also am of Christ. Ephesians 5, uh, he said this, and also, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. <clears throat> Excuse me. Part of walking in love as Christ walked in love, is showing love and compassion even to the most undesirable in society. So sitting on this, uh, on this well, Jesus used an analogy uh, that would both, uh, was both relevant excuse me, and understandable by all. The woman had come to Jacob's well many times and would continue to do so. That was her livelihood. 
that's what she needed. She needed to draw water. She needed to go. She would get thirsty for water again, but Jesus offered her eternal, an eternal solution to her spiritual thirst, which she needed badly. Does that sound familiar? All you have to do is walk out the doors of this church, go to a restaurant, walk out of your home, drive to work, and you see people who are thirsty for something in life. What happens when you're thirsty and there's no water? I kind of looked up this, and I, just for the lesson, because I usually don't do this, what is it like to die of thirst? I'm not even going to go into that. But if you don't have anything to drink, you're going to drink anything you can find. If you Same with eating. People have, have died with leather in their stomachs because they have eaten their leather belts, which is the worst thing you could possibly do. So what you do is you look for alternative ways to satisfy your need. The same goes for spiritual thirst. Just look at the spirituality and religion section of your local bookstore. Right? All these self-help books, introductions to every uh, belief system imaginable, and pages and pages of books promising lasting spiritual change. And that is if they make it to the bookstore. Because there are other ungodly ways to satisfy the thirst. But worldly satisfaction does not come. Isn't that the truth? Amen. Those of us, well, all of us, but those of us who have come out of the world, it doesn't satisfy. There's nothing in there that does. And though we try to, and, and especially if you're, it, it depends who you, we don't know who you are. We don't know how you, how you came to church unless you shared it. But sometimes just one service doesn't do it. Right? Oh, I got to go back. And maybe the 10th service, man, I'm still struggling with cigarettes. or I'm still struggling with uh, drinking and stuff like that. But you need to keep, continue to encourage, be encouraged. That person needs to be encouraged. We need to encourage them. And you're probably like me. You've seen cigarettes on the floor and people stomp on them. Right? You've seen uh, uh, bottles of alcohol come in and dump them down the thing in a revival. Right? And then baptize, baptize and stuff like that. Some of them just keep going and living for God and some of them just go right back. Because they're thirsty, and they're not finding it somehow. There's some reason, something in their life that's causing them, that's blocking their path to the well. So anyone who goes to these sources of water will thirst again. But anyone who comes to Jesus will find the only permanent thirst-quenching solution. That's because Jesus is the only well of eternal life. And this is proven consistently throughout the gospel. And even John, especially in John, he echoed this and said, uh, John 7, 37, 38, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He told another crowd in John six thirty five, He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Isn't that something to look forward to? Can you tell somebody that? Isn't that great? Hey, if you, if you come to Jesus, he has this, this water, this everlasting joy and encouragement that will flood you and fill you that you will never need to seek satisfaction in the world again. Jesus told many people about the living water that, he could, uh, that, that could only be found in him. So when we share Christ with others, we know we are giving them something that will last and will satisfy. We are like the bucket. Right, that draws the water. Because we cannot give them what they need. But we can carry 
what they need and give it to them. We can be the resource that Jesus is using, that uses. We're the clay, right? We're, we're, the, we're the avenue. We're his disciples, as it says out there. Because Jesus is the real source. He enlists us to bring the gospel and then makes up the difference above and beyond anything we could ever hope to provide. We can't do it. God, I can't make you feel like you feel when you get the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. But Jesus can. I can maybe take your hand and walk you down the altar and say, come on, get, get the Holy Ghost again. Or get the Holy Ghost for the first time, whatever that may be. Jesus did not discriminate against the woman he met at the well. Even though her past was not ideal like we would think it should be. Jesus was intentional and knew exactly what he was doing. He knew by saving this woman with all the problems in her past, her testimony would be effective to reach everyone in the entire area. One of the things that always concerned me and bothered me is when a, a, a minister or an outreach get up and say, it's not about numbers. It's not about numbers. Why do we have so many numbers in the Bible? He fed the 5,000. Oh, one day he saved 3,000 souls were saved. It, it, because all those numbers are our soul. And why do we put up a fireworks booth? And we used to do that. I know you guys did that here. Why do we put up another thing? Why do we do a car wash? Why do we have the garage sale? It's to do what Jesus did. If I just get that woman saved, then more people will be saved. If I just get somebody to come to the yard sale, not only that, oh, Sister Bruce isn't there. we got to get rid of some stuff too. But other people can come. Spiritually, we are using the garage sale to reach souls. Physically, we're getting rid of our old junk. Amen. He knew that. So by uh, demonstrating this, that the living water he offered was effective to save everyone, he knew that it would save them no matter how extreme a person's past was. Jesus saved Saul. He could save anyone. He shared the living water with all who would come and to receive him. I will show uh, mercy, Jesus said, and share God's love with people. Amen. And we need to say the same thing. I will share God's love, and I will show mercy to those who have had life mistakes, life-altering mistakes. Now is the time for us to be Christ-like. Jesus shares the water with anyone, regardless of a person's past sin. And we must be ready ready and willing to do the same regardless of the mistakes people have made in their past. And I've made quite a few mistakes. In fact, you know the story I was talking about earlier I said I would get to? But here it is. I, I made a mistake. And God still blessed me. He still honored my repentance and, and, and asking for forgiveness. I made a mistake when I, when I left my revival in Waukegan. And I walked into, uh, and I ended up in the church in Crawfordsville, Indiana. And the mistake was this. Maybe I should have just stayed back. Maybe, I don't know. So I'm, I'm using that as an example. As I'm, I mentioned, the church was in revival, but I had a, a friend, and she asked me to drive her to Columbus, as I mentioned before. Um, and I, I told my pastor what my plans were, as I mentioned before. 
Whether he agreed with him or not, he never discouraged me. He never told me he was disappointed or angry that I was missing the revival. So you, you got to think about that. Because there, it could have went two ways. I could have never, if he did, I could have never came back. Or, because where was I in my walk with God? So as I mentioned, my friend's cousins were a Christian singing group. And that's why we stopped in Crawfordsville. They were singing at the Baptist church. And I went and said goodbye and went down. And actually the church that they were at was used to be the Baptist church downtown. They were there. So after I left, my, my heart was just filled with warmth and, under, and just encouragement that these, these people didn't know where I was. They didn't know that I left a revival. They didn't know I didn't have time to say anything. They just loved me right there. I just loved me while I was sitting on a pew. Imagine, imagine if I met the, went to the whole service and all that. And, and I loved that. Um, with a follow-up call, the pastor, Brother Holland, got a hold of me on my, uh, the naval base there. I, I don't remember how. It, I don't remember how he got a hold of me, but he did. And he talked to me for a while, and I mentioned I was going to Peoria for a wedding. And he said, why don't you come back by? You and your friend, uh, it was a, there was a gentleman in the, in the, uh, that worked with me, and he let me borrow his car, but he ended up not going. So I was by myself, and they put me up in a hotel or a motel um, there. And the next night, the, uh, the minister that was up on the platform Brother Davenport, uh, the one that was preaching, um, asked me to come over to their house and meet the family. Because I already met his son, Everett. He's sitting here on the pew right now. And so I already met him. I met Brother Bennett, who was the usher there. But I hadn't met the family. So I went over to their house. And if you don't know, I came from six, six siblings. Everett's the oldest of seven with six Sisters, and you were 15 or 16 at the time, something of that. And so all the kids were just little, and and they're a singing family. They've had they've done recordings and albums and stuff like that. And I just had a little guitar, and they just made me feel like I was the best guitar player in the world. And I was, you know, I had only been playing a couple of years, <laughs> and and so we sang, and and it was great. And they uh, they adopted me. And, and I call him brother, and I probably see him more than my, my real family, and we don't see each other much at all, and, but we talk or we text or every once in a while, but like, it, it, it's great, and they, they encouraged me, and they loved me, and, and in fact, I don't know if you were with them, but they jumped in a 15-passenger van and came down to Savannah, Georgia, she, he was working for Renee and I's wedding. And they had to spend the night two hours in a hotel and drove all the way back. They fell in love with Renee. Of course, Renee was from Indiana, too, so they knew her parents and grandparents of that. And just the love and the encouragement and wonderfulness uh, of the Davenport affected me for the, for the rest of my life. It's been about 37 years. And it's so important what I'm saying this, that is this. Their prayers and their calls and their letters to me while I was in school there or when I was first deployed, it encouraged me and helped me get through some tough times. If you were in the military, you know that sometimes it's 
stressful, some, especially trying to walk with God and live for God. It is because not only do you have military things coming at you, you also got spiritual things as well. What I really want to say is that they welcomed a stranger into their church, into their home. And I understand this was 37 years ago. So we, like I said, we have to be mindful as Christians. We've got to be careful with that. But they didn't know my past. They didn't, they didn't know if I was struggling. They didn't know, like I said, if I had lost. Now, when I went back down there, I made sure I got to my pastor, cleared everything, and said, I'm going down there. I'm going to be there for a church service. And no, I didn't become a member of their church. And uh, Brother Davenport, uh, Everett here, his, his dad, Brother Davenport, uh, would call me and give me encouragement throughout, especially the, about the first 10 years of marriage. And every month or so, we would call and talk to each other. And he would just say uh, that they're still praying for us. And uh, the hope his, uh, his grandbabies, as he calls them, are my kids, are doing well. And I could write a book about how they adopted me and their family and how I gained another set of parents and seven more siblings. But they did welcome me. I believe their prayers and love and encouragement helped me. They fell in love with Renee, as I said, and that was one of the best things ever could happen is that someone else loved her as much as I do. When I walked into the church, it was just the beginning of my walk with God. But as I said before, they didn't know that. They had no clue, and they loved me for who I was. Can we do the same? Can we make somebody feel so comfortable when they walk into the church that they want to come back or have a relationship. Now, I, it was a little peculiar there because I was a hundred and something miles away from where there was. There's no way I could go to their church at all. But the people in town here that come here that are five minutes away, 15 minutes away, 20 minutes away, could we reach out? Could we bless them so much? Not even, and Jesus knew her past. And still encouraged her and loved her. And we don't know these past. Usually we don't know the people that come in here. Sometimes we do. Can we reach them? Jesus said in Matthew 9, the harvest is truly plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. Uh, let's stand this morning. I will let you know right now that spiritual harvest comes in many shapes and sizes. If you've never heard that before, neither have I. It comes in many shapes and sizes. When you go out and harvest corn, I know you do pools, but if you were to harvest corn, you knew what corn looked like. When you're picking tomatoes, you know what the tomatoes look like, or peas, or, or wheat, or barley. But with souls, you never know what kind a person or what kind of past that harvest has. You don't know. And so it's important to be an encouragement to them, a blessing, non-judgmental. Brother Morgan, I believe, uh, we, we watched his video of California a few, about a month or so ago. And he said, he, you know, when it gets contentious and, and, and like people want to debate he goes, why don't we just stop and let's talk about the king. Let's just talk about Jesus. What's, there's nothing wrong with that. Let's preach Jesus. Let's preach encouragement. Let's talk to somebody about the love of God. The water that never, ever dries out. 
it always flows. We do not need to focus on all the distractions that come with thirsty souls. We are not Jesus. We might not know what they're going through, but we know they're thirsty. We can be that instrument, that bucket to bring Jesus to their lives. There's many examples in the Bible of the disciples. They're, they were an ornery bunch, but they, they, they did not like Samaritans, right? They were worried about the past. They knew. They grew up. They were taught this from an early age. It was in their religion. They did that. They were doing the same thing they always did. And then Jesus comes, and he tries to tear down that wall. Sometimes we are so concerned about someone's past sin or what they look like, we either don't talk to them or we just generalize things and be passive-aggressive and try to just, somehow we're discouraging them. Sometimes we're worried so much about getting the sin out of the life that we forget to give them salvation. We're so worried about getting them out of hell, which is we need to, just trying to do that, that we forget that we're trying to get them into heaven. And you're not going to get into heaven without sin or hell in your life. So let's let's get them. Let's encourage them. Let's not worry about their past. A spiritual thirsty soul wants encouragement, not condemnation. A harvest can be backbreaking and uncomfortable and laborious work, but the work put into the harvest is always worth it for the results that are received. Also, the work we put in to share the gospel with everyone, regardless of their past, will always be worth it in the end. After all, God saved me. He can save anyone. Why don't we lift up our hands and worship him today? Lord, we praise you, God.
just a couple questions for you. Will you go out of your way to reach somebody? The other, the other question is, will you take time out of your day to reach someone? I don't want you to get fired from a job. Of course, you don't want to do that. But maybe you're doing a certain thing at 5 o'clock in the afternoon or 7 in the morning or something like that. Can you make arrangements? Can you do that? Can we do that? Can I do that? I need to do that more. I do that. I need to do that more. Church, we are one of the fastest growing cities in the United States. There's a harvest. There is a harvest.